Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Well, anyways, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We do here what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. We like to stay our style. just might be a bit different than what you're used to or different than other churches in the area. But we want you to know we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to guide and encourage you in your weekly walk with Him. This week, we're continuing a newer series that we've been calling Intersections, and we're looking at the intersection of someone who's dedicated to following Jesus, what we're all about here, and then comparing that to both other religions and Christian denominations. Last week, we compared Christianity to Judaism. This week, we're looking at various Christian denominations as a whole. One of my goals throughout this series is for you to just gain a basic understanding of what other religions and denominations believe. Y'all might be here and you're like, nah, I'm good, Aaron. I don't need that. Or like, I'm a Christian. Like, or maybe you're like, I'm not a Christian, but I'm definitely not considering anything else. I don't need that stuff. Or maybe you're like, I know what I believe. Or I don't need a class on religion or an overview on religion. Just teach me about Jesus and get me out within the hour. Maybe that's what you're thinking. If that's you, slow down, hang in there for a second. Because my main goal today is in our comparing is for you to develop clear or clearer ideas of what a follower of Jesus should prioritize. So if you've ever wanted clarity, as in, what's the difference between the world religions and Christian denominations? Or what does it really mean to believe and follow Jesus? This is a series for you. So with that, we're going to get to it. And if you were here last week, we addressed that the core belief to Christianity is that you are freely forgiven and given the gift of eternal life when you individually accept that you've made mistakes and have sinned against God. Your mistakes have consequences, but Jesus living as a perfect human being and then dying in our place can make you right with God. God has made us right through grace of sending his son Jesus, the undeserving, unmerited sacrifice of Jesus. Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's a grace that saves you, but not only that, it sustains you. It sustains you not through your actions, not through you keeping the law like other religions, like Judaism we looked at yet last week, but through us accepting that we need God's grace, and grace does something to us inside. Boom. You're caught up from last week. Y'all who were here maybe last week are like, why did that sermon take 30 minutes? Well, sorry, I guess, but you're caught up from last week now. So today we're going to pick up with a simple statement that I just made, though. The grace of God saves you is the same grace that sustains you. If that is essentially the core to Christianity, you might be wondering, why does there tend to be more? Like, why does it seem there's always more Christians are to do? Why are there so many differences in how Christians act? Or why are there so many different churches' beliefs and ways? Well, this is where Christianity gets a bit messy. It gets a bit messy. Almost all Christian churches are united on the fact that you need Jesus for salvation, to be made right, to be with God one day. But how you are to live after you accept that, or what you believe after, is where the spew of different denominations come from. This is the tension of being saved by grace, 
through the gift of grace, but then what the response of accepting that should actually look like inside a person. This struggle or tension between different denominations is, is if you're moved by Jesus at one point, by this massive gift of grace, but aren't desiring to follow his ways after, did you really embrace the full gift of grace that was offered? And then on the complete other side of things, if you're now like working your butt off because you started following Jesus and you're, you're trying to live perfectly to earn God's approval, was there really a gift of grace? Do you see that tension? Do you see the difference between the two? Are you to work or are you to accept just a gift or is it something else and something in between? I think the best way to look at that tension is like this. Is if after you embrace this gift of grace through Jesus and you're wanting to follow him in response to that, grace has happened within you. If you accept the grace of Jesus and you are not wanting to follow him or couldn't care less to follow Jesus, something didn't settle in with you with that gift. If we look at the verses we looked at last week, it's in Titus, and it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As we saw last week, the grace of God, the things that's talking about, it does something to us. It changes us. Yet this question and tension of grace being something we are to just receive or are to have action to show for is where almost all Christian denominations argue and differ and try to declare what's necessary. If we just take a look around like the U.S., right? If you just look around the U.S., it takes zero work to find and notice that there are Christian churches everywhere. I mean, come on, in Fond du Lac alone, there's a lot of churches. There's a lot of churches, almost more than like we have bars in, in town. Actually, way more bars than churches. Way more bars than churches. How and why did this happened? How, why are there so many differences? Well, to start, a big part is just like bars, there's natural preference. We prefer different things. I mean, who here prefers sweet over salty? Wrong answer if you chose salty, but um, who prefers thin crust over thick crust? Thin crust people? Thick crust people? Where are you at? I like you, all right? Who loves spicy, right? Who, who thinks fun involves physical activity? Who thinks fun involves sitting on the couch? All right, differences. Who prefers dogs or cats, right? There's differences. Style and preference choices are a part of who we are as individuals, and it carries into the church world. What that looks like in the church world today is music. You can find upbeat to hymnal, right? Uh, duration. You can find a one-hour service all the way to a four-hour service. Don't worry, we're not a four-hour service but it might be a little long today. Strictness. You find a bit more expectation on suit and dresses to come to church, or sometimes you find a church that maybe lets you eat donuts in the, in the auditorium. I don't know. That could be cool. Uh, teaching styles. There's style differences on that. One that's maybe geared towards a certain audience or even the type of teaching. There's topical and expository teaching. Topical means you, you pick a topic and there's teaching on that from the Bible. Expository means you're looking at a book of the Bible and using teaching that's from that book. This is just a name of a few of the differences that naturally come out in style choices. Style is definitely a part of the vast differences of choices. But that's not totally it. If we're really tackling the topic of denominations today, there's more. 
And before we dive into uh, actually talking about that, I want to talk a little bit about my marriage with my wife as an analogy on how churches start to differ and break apart. Before Sydney and I, my wife Sydney, she, uh, before we got married, we wanted to agree on like the big things. P.S. Like that is like super important. If you're not married, make sure you do that. Get on the same page with your future spouse uh, about the big things. But in order for us to do that, we had to figure that out by spending time with each other, conversing and learning about each other. What we learned, we agreed on the, the personal values. We agreed on kids, our, our roles, our, our faith, our work ethic, upbringing, finances and goals, and so much more. We agreed on all of those things. In my mind, the core things. Like, we're never going to fight. It's going to be amazing. Well, we started there. Did we agree on everything? Not a chance, right? Not a chance. Like, she had different upbringings than me, so we knew that that could have some difficulties and conflicts, especially with, like, raising children. Like, we're maybe experiencing a little of that now. Uh, she handles grief differently than me, right? So that's tough. We had to learn how to, how to kind of have conversations about grief. She's younger than me, and she was young when we met and, like, a little scattered at the time, and I was, like, this bachelor all put together. Maybe I'm just tooting my own horn here. I don't know. I'm going to pay for that one later from her. But, um, but the unity of what we thought was most important, it was there. It was there. So we committed to each other. We got married. But now being married to my wife for quite some time now and learning more about her, we have some differences. Some that have been whatever and some that have been caused some friction. All right? Uh, for example, I'm going to start light here. Pretzels. Pretzels. She thinks sticks are better than the twists, which is wrong. It's wrong. The twists are better. But what's interesting, we both want the saltiest pretzel. We want the saltiest pretzel we can get. Well, she thinks sticks bring more salt, and I think the twists do. Who's with me on the twists? Who's all about the sticks? Wrong answer. Okay. Um, we have strong disagreements on when food is old in our fridge. Sydney like, is like, ah, oh, it's fine after a week. It's totally fine to eat. I'm like, gross. We're not taking a chance on that. But what's interesting, though, is we're both trying to save our family in a particular way. Sydney is trying to save us money from buying unnecessary extra food, and I'm trying to save us doctor visits and toilet visits. You know, like, but we disagree on that. Uh, driving home, Sydney and I, many times we're driving back at the same time from the same place, uh, but in separate cars. Well, we have very different ways of getting home sometimes, and we disagree on which way is fastest. Again, I'm just trying to show that Sydney and I, we agree on things, and even are trying to achieve the same goal in a lot of those situations, but we have our own subjective interpretations on which we disagree on. Are we going to divorce over these things? No. Does it happen sometimes for people, like the divorce over those type of things? Of course, like it definitely happens. Even though they might be small, does it take work and effort to move forward from those? Definitely, it does. But what if the disagreement is bigger? It's on more of an important value type thing. Parenting, or finances, or upbringing, or goals, or faith, or whatever. And we start to disagree on these. I want to say we're not going to divorce over those disagreements, and as individuals, we're going to try and be like Jesus and dialogue and figure out how to move forward with our disagreement. And that's the Christian marriage goal and example, one of give and take intention, right? But this doesn't always happen. 
This is where divorce and separation happens. Now, the reason I tell you this, all this information is many times that's what happens in the church. There are belief differences, small and big, and divorce happens. This is literally how most Christian denominations have formed. They're divorcing from others, and it's brought tens to hundreds, maybe even, of den- Christian denominations today. So who's right? Who's right? Of all the denominations, who's right? How do you know what's right? How have we gotten to where we're at today? I mean, if, just take a look at all the different denominations and churches in the Christian world. Craziness. That's actually a drawing from my daughter. Uh, so maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not that bad. But these are a few that I saw. Like, it's, it's all over the place where they stem from different things and there's multiple denominations. Let's sit on that one for a little bit. Christian denominations, they all essentially derive from the same objective thing. Belief of Jesus' teachings and the Bible. Belief that Jesus' grace saves you and sustains you. But then we get to here all the differences because that tension I started talking about in the beginning, grace and action. Now, I want to nerd out with you for like three minutes on this kind of graph. I know it might be hard to see, but what it is is it's breaking apart different denominations. Like you have the early Christian church, Roman Catholic church, and then it breaks into Lutheran, Reformed church, Anglican church, Eastern Orthodoxy. So I want to nerd out with you on this a little bit for three minutes, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this, and it's, it's helpful to know. So try to stick with me here. So Christian denominations, they all essentially derive from one thing. Judaism, right? We talked about that last week. Judaism is where Christianity starts, the Old Testament. And then it goes to Jesus. Jesus, when he was actually here on earth, he started Christianity off of Judaism. Then for about 300 years after Jesus, the Christian church, it was a persecuted or not mainstream during these 300 years. And it was mainly in homes and in secret. So around 300 AD, things changed completely. There's this emperor named Constantine, and he embraces Christianity and made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. This is a giant shift, right? A giant shift to go from the persecuted, small home type churches to now a mainstream religion that's practiced without, throughout the whole country. Changes like Bibles are being made, churches out in public, and there's these two big hot spots where religion teach, or religious teachings come from during that time. Rome and Constantinople. Well, after some time of being a mainstream in public, about 1000 AD, Rome and Constantinople, they came to a disagreement on who is doing things right and who isn't. They each had their own pope, and they disagreed with each other's decisions. They disagreed on who's going to heaven or not. You're not going to heaven. No, you're not going to heaven. No, you're not going to heaven. Like, literally, that's kind of like the disagreement. Like, I picture it like an argument like, of something like this. Like, no, it's six. No, it's nine. And, you know, they're disagreeing. Or, no, it's three. No, it's four. Or maybe just, like, cats just fighting. I don't know. Like, they're, they're mad at each other, trying to, like, figure out who's right and who's not. That's a bit of a comedy over it, right? But, but a split actually happens between these two, uh, two areas. It's called the Great Schism. And it's the split of Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholicism, which Rome was the power center of the world, so Catholicism thrives. And it forms a lot of what we follow today. Fast forward to 1517, a Catholic priest and theologian 
Martin Luther, you maybe have heard of him. He comes to some intense disagreements with the Catholic Church, and he shows up one day and nails to the church's door uh, a letter called the 95 Theses. It sounds so dramatic, but if that happened today, you wouldn't even notice. So for fun, I put a little flyer on the door. It said, give Aaron a high five. Did anybody notice it? I got a few high fives. It's there. It says, give Aaron a high five. You didn't even notice it. You really didn't. It sounds so dramatic, yet that, if that happened today, you just are like, oh, I just walked in, whatever. But back then, this is where announcements, the church, in front of the church, that's where announcements were made. It was the center of the city. And in this dock that he provides, he made a list of the things he disagreed with on the church. And one of the main ones is he disagreed with how they dealt with indulgences or where people could pay money for forgiveness or lesser punishments. He also disagreed with that, that the church, it shouldn't be at the same power. The church and the pope shouldn't be at the same power as scripture. He didn't think that was right. He thought scripture should be ultimate authority. Luther, he basically believed the church was abandoning its core beliefs. Again, forgiveness through grace. The church kicked him out then. They kicked him out, and which brought Luther to starting Lutheranism. You've probably heard of that. This was the start of what's known as the Protestant Reformation, and it stirred others. And two other big names, uh, John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, had similar views to Luther, and they broke away from the Catholic Church, and they started teaching in different churches, and they brought denominations that follow Calvinism, today's Reformed churches or Presbyterian churches you may be heard of. And around that same time, the Church of England also decides to separate from the Roman Catholic Church because the king of that time wanted a divorce, and the Catholic Church wouldn't let them. So then this formed a new denomination known as the Anglican Church. You can see that in the, in the graph there. And then was a church that's led to known as the Episcopal Church today. These reformers, these Protestant reformers, changed everything and started a movement for people to have their own take on God and Scripture. To say who influenced who or who did what next. We could go on and on with different people. But from this... Protestant Reformation stemmed many offshoots of denominations with leaders trying to realign with Scripture and fully live out what God wanted. Puritans, Quakers, Baptists, leaders, they put emphasis on different areas of Scripture, evangelism or sanctification. Evangelism is sharing your faith. Sanctification is becoming holy and living holy. Uh, that, that, stemmed, uh, that stemmed Methodism, and it also stemmed uh, other denominations as well. And then in the last year or so, we see the Pentecostal movement. Pentecostal churches or charismatic churches have shown up, and they're like the Assemblies of God type church where they put greater emphasis on music and spirituality. So, woo, that's a lot. That's a lot of denominations, a lot of different, like, different views of things. But I want to go one more minute deeper with you. So hang in there with me. And I want to try and answer this one last question, which is what is really the difference between the de denominations? You might be wondering that. What's really the difference? And the answer is the beliefs, right? But to understand that, we need to look at how splits actually happened. And there seems to be almost tiers. Beliefs that are seen as most important, semi-important, not really that important, right? And one of the things that seemed really important that caused a lot of separation or big splits was the question, who do they submit to? For example, with Catholics... Scripture was authority, but also needs to be read within what the Pope declares as truth. Pope and Scripture are on equal playing grounds. That's important to Catholics' belief, whereas Luther disagreed with that. 
Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodist churches, they see Bible or the Bible as the sole authority. Nothing is higher or equal to that. And then with some, like kind of on the whole other side of the spectrum, there's some Pentecostal churches, they have this high view of the Bible, but they also believe in a prophetic voice from God to maybe push the church in a new direction that maybe isn't totally tied to Scripture. So who and what one submits to and practices are the most important differences that separate many churches. Then there's the beliefs that are semi-important and kind of just stir or maybe rub people the wrong way. For the Catholic Church, they believe in the sinlessness of Mary, Jesus, Jesus' mother. They believe in the perfection of Jesus' disciple Peter and other saints, where many Christians believe all people are sinful because of Jesus, besides Jesus. For Presbyterians, they tend to have a strong belief in Calvinism. Calvinism is a belief that God chooses certain people and he doesn't choose other people, where the contrary view of that is Arminian, which Methodists tend to hold, which means they believe in free choice and that people have a free choice to choose to follow God. Baptist churches, as you can tell, they have an emphasis on baptism. They believe in full immersion baptisms. Pentecostals, they're known for spiritual gifts and, and extra music. Some even to the extent of speaking in tongues is a way to show that you have been saved. These are just some of the semi-important differences. I say all of this, tell you all this about denominations, so that you could see some of the clear reasons why things have split over the years. I'm no expert on denominations, and I'm just doing my best to give you kind of a glance, an overview this for sure is not perfect, and I know I'd, I definitely don't want to misrepresent any denomination, and I hope I haven't. But this gets us to a basic understanding for how and why denominations generally start and how and why many have split over the years. For this series, though, as I said last week, we aren't trying to put an emphasis on the differences, but the commonalities and the intersections. And the intersection of what we see in all Christian denominations what shows us what a Christian church should have and, the, and the, what that is, is a belief in Jesus and the trust in his grace. For us today, many of us see that, we know that, we've maybe committed to that, but then what? But then what? What else is important? What should you do as a Christian? Again, this is the tension that we started with, right? Grace being something we are to receive, but then what should our actions be like after, to show for this is where we're going to spend our remaining time today. I think there are some things God says about this in Scripture that can be helpful. Along with, during that time, as we discuss this, I want to share a little bit of where this church aligns with things as well. But as I said last week, I do have a bias, right? I want to declare that from Sage. I have a bias. And not only do I have a bias for you to be a Christian over any other religion, but I have a bias for this church. I planted this church, right? So like I'm te- I tend to be for this church. But with that... I think the first thing we have to look to when we're really trying to figure out what does God want from you and really trying to figure out what you need to do as a Christian is look and ask, what aligns best with Jesus? That's our first point. What aligns best with Jesus? Ephesians 1.22, it says this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus Christ is authority. So seek what aligns with what scripture says about him. It seems so simplistic, right? But it's not what most do. We tend to look 
and listen and read more what others say about Jesus than what is actually said about him. I have a little video that kind of shows you how bad we tend to be in, in depicting others and like when we kind of like try to describe someone else instead of going to the source. Check it out. We've known each other for about four years. I am very worried uh, about describing her face. I'm very forgetful. I think we'll have to end it if the drawing goes bad. Like circles under his eyes, kind of. Like if you took Ryan Gosling and just made him look like a little more tired. Eyebrows. Whoo! <laughs> bushy? Uh, bushy. Narrow. Flat. Thick. Like a ferret. Just across his forehead. He's got long hair. And a beard. Like a magician. And at the bottom it like curls up. Not too alienish, but... Yeah. Upside down egg? Kind of nose. It starts in a, in, in a normal place. The nostrils might fan out a little bit. What kind of lips does she have? Lips. Big If we're trying to describe someone, right, we struggle. But if we go to the source, it would be so much better. For you, if someone asked you what aligns best with Jesus, what would you say and why would you say that? Because of what someone else told you or what you have actually read about Jesus in the Bible. With the Bible now accessible to all of us today, from the tips of our fingers to our bedside stand to the big old Bible that's maybe hidden somewhere in the house and it's dusty, why wouldn't we tap into that to really know Jesus? Who is Jesus to you and what aligns best with him for you and your understanding? There are so many views people have today, but why and from where do you get yours about Jesus? This is important. We actually see Jesus, in Jesus' time, he pushed people to reflect on who they really thought he is, not just who people said he is. Check it out. It's in Matthew 6, 13 to 17. It says, Jesus, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus replied. You are blessed, Simon. Jesus is interested in who you says he is, not what someone else told you who he says he is. With that, are you pursuing to know God? Or are you just following the rules, the laws, the, com the comments, the guidelines of what others have said or what other denominations declare or what you maybe just assumed? Don't get me wrong. All those things can be helpful. Denomination guidelines are super helpful because I'm going to be honest. The Bible's not that easy to read. I know people are like, just open God's word and it makes total sense. I disagree. I totally disagree. It's really hard, right? The Bible's really hard to read sometimes. And like, you, you really just need to approach it in some ways. So to have denominations that help you understand the Bible, it helps provide framework. But denominations without your own personal reading of the Bible, it's dangerous. It's dangerous because you're going off of what someone else says, not what you're reading. Who do you say God is? And what faithful actions do you need to do that you think best align with Jesus? Maybe today is a day that you realize you don't really know who Jesus is outside of what other people have said. Maybe you need to get into the Bible. Maybe you need to start reading it. But Maybe you hate reading. I don't know. Listen to it. 
Open your Bible app. It's amazing. The Bible app's amazing. There's so many translations if you want to look at that. If you don't know where to start, I say start in John or talk with me. I want to help you get into the Bible. That's, that's what I love doing. You don't have to feel ashamed about where you're at with that, but get in the Bible so that you know what Jesus says. At the end of the day, Jesus is more concerned with who you says he is. Sure, I think correctness is important, but your sincere heart in trying to read learn and follow who you think Jesus is personally is more important to him. So for you, what are you looking to to align your align you best with Jesus and his ways? Are you looking to a denomination? Are you looking to a pastor or a Christian radio station or a Christian book or are you actually going to the source, the Bible? All can be helpful, but should be the help alongside looking at scripture. This church it's been planted and structured with that in mind for you as an attender. This church, it's a non-denominational church, and what that means is we're not affiliated with a particular denomination. Honestly, it sounds cliche, but we literally are just trying to follow the Bible as a church and trying to follow Jesus as best as we can by looking at Scripture. Now, obviously, as the speaker here, or the pastor here, I have a slant, right? I have a slant like all of us do. It's called a hermeneutic. It's all of the things that go into your faith lens, your upbringing, how you read scripture, what churches you've attended in the past. You have a bias. You just do. You have a bias. And for me, that bias is a bit Baptist. The mother church of Centerpoint Church is Ripon Community Church, and Ripon Community is a converged church. The Converge used to be known as the General Baptist Conference. And to give you a point of reference, Ripon Community Church is a converged church, Fond du Lac Community is a converged church, Oshkosh Community is a converged church, Thrive, those are all converged churches. Centerpoint Church's beliefs, they're on our website, but they all align really well with Converge. One person I studied for in this message of learning about different denominations, he stated that Converge is like this. He said, Converge is categorized by simple faith in the Bible, rejection of dead formalism, and vibrant evangelism. That's Ron Rhodes. That's pretty fitting with us today. That's pretty fitting with us here. We align well with Converge, but again, we're non-denominational. And it's that way because we are really hoping and helping people take their next step in their relationship with God by connecting them to Jesus no matter where they're at in their beliefs or no matter what doctrine they have when they first walk into the door. We want to prompt and direct you to the Bible so that you can personally decide who you think Jesus is and what you think he wants from you. Which brings us to the second thing when figuring out what's most important for you to believe and do as a Christian, which is follow through with what you think God wants from you wholeheartedly. Structure, declarations, creeds, devotion to a church and certain beliefs, those are great but they're meaningless to God if it's not sincere or your heart's not in it. Scripture should be authority and it should change your heart. Have you heard the saying before, like, you can't have your cake and eat it too? Who's heard the saying before? Can't have your cake and eat it too. Who knows what it really actually means? Anybody? Like, it's like the thing that like, people say all over, right? But like, what does it really actually mean, right? So I looked at good old Wikipedia for us. And Wikipedia describes it this way. You cannot simultaneously retain your cake and eat it. Once the cake is eaten, it is gone. Some cakes, they're amazing. Like, right? That's awesome. You, it's a cake. It's meant to be eaten. But you, but you want to look at it. That's a cake. That's amazing. That's amazing. You wrestle with the tension because it looks so good. 
We want to keep it because we like it, but we also want to eat it because that's its intention. I tend to think that's what we as Christians do. We know what God wants, but many times we want our own life. We want our own take, our own desires, our own heavily biased interpretations. So we blend the two together. We want our cake and eat it too. We want to say we're fully devoted followers of God and have the appearance of that, but to follow through is hard, is hard. That just like cake is intended for eating, Christian promptings from Scripture are intended to be lived out. As a church, we want to encourage you to pursue a life that doesn't just look at the cake or look at Scripture, but eats it or lives it out. Where is that situation for you? Is it with a lifestyle choice, an action, your finances, your marriage, your future plans? Follow through with what you think God wants from you wholeheartedly. Don't just pick and choose what sounds good or is likable. As a church, all the teaching is done with an attempt to push you to take an honest look at Scripture on your own and be real with it, wrestle with it. We see Scripture as sole authority here at this church. As you saw with a lot of denominations, though, Lots of people look at denomination or scripture and they come up with different conclusions and different denominations. For us, who, we, who are we or who am I to personally tell you what exactly you need to believe? That's not the role I'm in. We as a church, we have a strong core beliefs, a few strong core beliefs, so you know how decisions are made and what to expect and where our authority comes from. But you and I, and someone else, and maybe someone else, we might come to different conclusions on different things when it go, comes to Scripture, and I hope we can all worship together still. That's the goal. As long as you're in that tension of pursuing, of, of earnestly trying to follow not just what you want to believe or not just what's best for you, but doing what you think God is actually telling you to do through Scripture. Follow through with what you think God wants from you wholeheartedly. Which brings us to our last point. As you saw, there are lots of denominations, right? We saw there's tons of them. Do you think God wants his church to continue to just keep splitting and having more and more different denominations? Jesus states in Mark 3, 24, it says this. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Division's never good. It's never good. Conflict shouldn't immediately divide us. It's kind of the one last thing. It's hard for Christians to stand and lead and model to the outside world if we're so divided with each other inside, if we're so divided in what Scripture's saying. What if we're losing our strength in the world because of our internal division? There's bound to be a loss of influence, right? In our nation, in our states, maybe even in our city because of all the division of denominations and churches. What if God never intended it for it to be that way? I mean, we saw there were some very clear reasons why denominations broke, right? And some probably rightfully so. But what if Christians, what if, what if they need to learn more how to handle conflict better? How to sit in tension longer and be iron getting sharpened by iron, being sharpened by others who aren't the same as you, but are sharpening you. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Are you willing to go up against iron to become sharper, straighter, and aligned? Recently, my wife and I, we uh, have been watching Masterclass. Has anybody heard of Masterclass? It's like a subscription you get, and you're like taught a bunch of different things. Well, we watch way too much Netflix, so we decided to get Masterclass and learn things. 
and we're learning how to cook by Gordon Ramsay. That's one of the master classes. And I'm learning how to sharpen a knife. This might be really scary for you, um, but it looks awesome how he does it. Check it out. I'm not that good, right? I'm not that good at all, but he, he teaches you how to sharpen a knife. And you use metal to sharpen a knife, right? Well, I actually learned in the master class, you might not know this, that you actually not just need to sharpen your knife only about once or twice a year. And for us, like we bought our knives or we got our knives for our wedding and we haven't like sharpened them ever. You're probably in the same boat. Uh, but you only need to sharpen them about once or twice a year. But then what you need to do is this is actually not necessarily a sharpener. This, this hones the knife. This hones the knife and straightens the knife. You need to straighten your knife often, but you need to sharpen it once or twice a year. And the reason you do that is because each time you cut, little micro like bends happen in your knife. It kind of bends the knife a little bit, which dulls the knife. So this straightens the knife. It makes it straight and clear and allows for the path to actually cut through things. Now, I think that's such a great metaphor or mental picture for our faith. There are times we go through this intense sharpening, that we need to go through this intense sharpening, being sharpened by each other. But then in our daily living, we do still need honing, which is what this is called, honing, straightening, consistently, kind of like this challenge to make sure we're doing things correctly. Without it, we're just bending and losing our fineness to actually pursue what's intended for us. As people who are constantly changing and evolving in the world today, what if we stuck together more and we're iron sharpening iron? One another, challenging, talking, discussing, reflecting with one another. What if we need a sharpening to get back to the core beliefs, the unity, and reflect in that Jesus' grace is what saves us and sustains us, nothing more? How I started talking about why church and denominations divide was with relation to marriage and with my wife, Sydney. Marriage, we've made some promises that we will not divorce over disagreement. I'm not going to pretend marriage is like super easy and we don't ever disagree or anything like that. But there's times we have to sit in that tension and try to work things out. It happens often. What if that's the type of commitment God wants from us with his churches, with people in the church? Are you doing that? Are you being iron sharpening iron in your faith? As I close, you can see as Christian denominations, we are numerous and quite different, right? But our intersection is belief in Jesus, and it should remind us the importance of that alone. What do you need to do to get back to that? For you, is it to seek Jesus? You need to seek what Jesus says. You personally need to do that. Maybe you need to follow wholeheartedly with your convictions of what Scripture says. Or lastly, maybe you need to sit in tension. Maybe you need to sit in tension and discuss and learn and let yourself be honed and sharpened. I'm going to pray that we do one of those this week. If you want that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for sharpening us. God, I just pray that as... As we look to you, I pray that first off, we look to Jesus. What aligns with Jesus? Have that be what, what centers ourself. Know that grace saves us and it sustains us. And that comes from Jesus. That comes from his words. But God, have that not be what's said from stage, but have that be something that we can read about on our own and have a, a personal connection with. And then God, we pray that as we, as we kind of refine things in our lives, we pray that you have us continue to be sharpened Continue to maintain intention so that we can continue to follow you in unity.